Good morning, everybody. How are you? Good. So good to see you. So um, had a great vacation. Many of you uh, texted or emailed either my wife or I last you know, Thursday or Friday to make sure we were not in Paris. And I really, we appreciate that. But we missed it by about five days, six days, whatever it was. Um, our daughter's doing well. We had a great time, my wife and I and my mother-in-law, visiting our oldest daughter, Chelsea. She'll, she'll be back in about a month um, from her studies there. But she's thriving and doing well in England. Um, I think she just got back today from, where did she go? Scotland. I think she's been to like 15 countries since she's been there. The kid's crazy. Um, but she's doing well. I, I, I was thinking, um, so it's my first time to Europe, right? So in England, they have uh, pounds, pounds and pence, right? And then in uh, Paris, they had euros, and uh, which was kind of cool to spend different currency. But I, if they were giving me the right change back or not, I would have no idea. So it always like a day or two later before I'd figure out if they gave me the right change or if I got ripped off. But every time they, they did well. And, uh, but it was fun. Had a good time. We really, really, really missed you guys. Um, you know, I was so anxious to get away and, and, uh, and we enjoyed being away. But gosh, we just missed being here so much. We appreciate this church. And so we've missed you guys terribly. It's so good to see you and um, good to be back here. Um, we, as you can tell, have communion um, this morning, and Doug Renault, one of our elders, is going to lead our time in communion, and so that's going to be really rich, I hope, for you, and I do hope that we take communion like we've never taken it before, and I think this message that the Lord has for us will help us do that. Um, I don't think Pastor Dave or Rob are in the room, but um, wanted to extend my gratitude to Pastor Dave and to Rob Selick for filling in the last two weekends. It was amazing. I I was not here when Dave preached, but I listened to it online, and it was incredible. And then uh, last week, I was here when Rob preached, and um, I told them both, I'll, I'm never going to let them preach again. Um, <laughs> so enjoy it while it lasted. I don't need people making me look bad. I can do that all by myself. Um, yeah, so if you don't know that there's something better out there, then you ju- you'll think that this is as good as it gets. So, um, yeah, it's all purely strategic on my part. Um, As you also may know, um, PJ is scheduled to be here next weekend and the following weekend and in between those weekends to um, speak at Men's Breakfast and at Rock of Ages, but we have an update. And are we queued up for the update? Yeah. Hi, everyone. Well, I'm very sad to say that Kay and I will not be able to come and visit you at this time. Uh, I caught pneumonia, as most of you probably know. Uh, We're saddened that we can't see you. We love you more than life itself. God bless you all. We miss you. Bye-bye. Yeah, so that's sad. PJ called me Monday morning. Um, I was actually having breakfast and and just doing some reading. And (laughs) it was maybe a four-minute phone call. And he coughed for three minutes and spoke the other one minute. uh, You know, and I'm like, PJ, you know, just text me. It's fine. Don't worry about it. He was due to see the doctor on Thursday, I think it was, before he'd get a final word. And uh, so, you know, he feels terrible, not only physically, but they just so desperately wanted to be here, as I'm sure you can imagine. And uh, I said, don't worry about it. You know, get well. That's all, that's all that really matters. So um, anyway, keep him in your prayers, if you would. Um, I was just really looking forward to seeing him. Having said that, um, this video was just sent to us, I think, yesterday or fr- Friday. I think it was yesterday. So it's kind of like, you know, we finally found out, so I, I don't know what I'm going to preach on the next two Sundays. I've got to figure that out, and I will. So um, I, I presume I'll continue to preach out of the Psalms, but I don't know which one. So 
I encourage the other two services, just read all of them. Um, is that all right? There's like 130-something that we haven't read. So we got most of them done, right? We're like 10, 10 of them done. So just read the rest, and then you'll be prepared for whatever I come up with. But I will know tomorrow, hopefully by Tuesday or Wednesday, we'll have it online if you want to look online. Um, hopefully we'll have it posted there. I know some of you like to read um, before we show up. But um, anyway, and then I think Pastor Dave is going to cover Rock of Ages, and then Doug Atterbury will cover men's group for PJ. So, um, yeah, keep them in your prayers. Good? We're all caught up? Let me share with you. A, um, I like uh, to do this on Wednesday morning with men's group. Start off with a little story. Uh, it's how I start off every Wednesday morning. And they're usually um, silly, untrue, and funny. And hopefully uh, <laughs> that will be the same this morning. I'll let you know if this story is true. When I get into it, you can figure out if you think this is true or not. And then I'll, I'll wrap it up. Anyway, a professional NFL team, the Philadelphia Eagles, had just finished their daily practice session when a large turkey came strutting onto the field. While the players gazed in amazement, the turkey walked up to the head coach and demanded to be given a tryout to play tight end. Everyone stared in silence as the turkey caught pass after pass and ran right through the defense. When the turkey returned to the sidelines, the coach shouted, You're superb! Sign up for the season. I'll make sure you get a huge bonus. The turkey replies, Forget the bonus. What I need to know is this, does your season go past Thanksgiving? That's my greeting card to you to say, happy Thanksgiving. I hope you guys all have a great, great Thanksgiving. Psalm 66 is perfect in preparation for Thanksgiving Day. To prepare us for, thanks, uh, for Psalm 66 and to prepare us for giving thanks, I want to just hit you with a few quick verses. They'll be on the screen. Ephesians 5.20. It says, Always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God. Giving thanks for all things. We're commanded to give thanks in everything. Philippians 4.6 says this, Don't be anxious about things, but in everything, in your prayer and in your supplication, with thanksgiving, let God know what's up. Let your request be made known to Him. And then lastly, in Colossians 3.15, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. And lastly, he says, and be thankful. We're to be thankful. And I hope that this week, Thanksgiving Day, and I hope today, communion time, that we'll do it perhaps like we've never done it before. We'll be thankful like we've never been thankful before, perhaps. Let me read to you a a rather long quote. and I'm going to go slow so we can sink in because it's very rich. The quote is called, Think and Thank. Think and then thank. So let me read this to you. It has often been pointed out that thinking precedes thanking. When we are presented with a gift, it is because we think of its significance and its meaning that we are led to express our appreciation. What then are the thoughts that we Christians should have that should lead us to thanksgiving? Somewhere in our thinking there should be thoughts of God. Yes? Perhaps we should start there. God. What a train of thoughts that should be started when we think of Him. Power, wisdom, goodness, grace, 
love, care. Those are just some of the thoughts that cluster around the word God. When Paul in Romans 1 traces the downward spiral or the downward path of mankind, he begins by saying this in Romans 1, that even though they knew God, they did not glorify him as God. Neither were they thankful. Interesting. That thankfulness is part of our downward, downward spiral. When we are not thankful, that can cause us to have a downward spiral and not glorifying God and not knowing God the way we should. Men were not thankful that they had a revelation of God. Indeed, they sought to suppress that knowledge and to evade its power. In addition to thoughts of God, there should be thoughts of ourselves as well. We should see our own insignificance in the light of the facts of what we know about God. We should see and confess our own frailty and our own failures. We should admit our commitment to earthly things. But we should not stop there. We should think, about, we should think thoughts about our privileges in Christ, that God has loved us and has made us significant. We're significant to the creator of the universe. Interesting because of what His Son did for us by dying for us. The Father has accepted us in His beloved Son. In the light of these thoughts, we should be led to think of our responsibilities. We are now responsible to live for God's glory. Redeemed, we should seek to serve Him faithfully. We should recognize our responsibility to be thankful. And from our lips, there should come a daily song of praise. A daily song of praise. Why is it then that we are not more thankful? The truth probably is that we don't stop to think, as this thing is called, think and then think. The truth probably is that we don't stop to think. The cares and riches and pleasures of this life choke the plant of gratitude. And our lives become unfruitful. Thanksgiving is thus really the product of careful cultivation. It is the fruit of a deliberate resolve to think about God, to think about ourselves and our privileges and our responsibilities. By giving thanks, we make manifest the fact that our lives are not controlled by the imperious cares and concerns of this life. We give testimony to the fact that material things do not dictate the horizons of our soul. Wow, is that a quote to chew on or what? Let's pray. Lord, of all people, we, your people, should be most thankful. We have so much to be thankful for. It's not just that you command it, Lord. We just have so much to be thankful for. Lord, give us hearts of praise. Give us hearts of thanks. May we see your goodness at all times. And may we thank you for all things. We love you, Lord. And we are grateful for you. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Let's turn to Psalm 66 and read these 20 verses. Psalm 66, starting in verse 1. What a perfect psalm for Thanksgiving week. Shout joyfully to God, all the earth. Sing the glory of His name. Make His praise glorious. Say to God, how awesome are your works. Because of the greatness of your power, your enemies will give feigned obedience to you. 
All the earth will worship you and will sing praises to you. They will sing praises to your name. Verse 5. Come and see the works of God. He's awesome in His deeds towards us. He turned the sea into dry land. He passed through the river on foot. Or they passed through the river on foot. There let us rejoice Him. He rules by His might forever. His eyes keep watch on the nations. Let not the rebellious exalt themselves. Bless our God, O peoples, and sound His praise abroad. He keeps us in life. He does not allow our feet to slip. For you have tried us, O God. You have refined us as silver is refined. You brought us into the net. You laid an oppressive burden upon our loins. You made men right over our heads. We went through fire and through water, yet you brought us out into a place of abundance. I shall come into your house with burnt offerings. I shall pay you my vows, which my lips uttered and my mouth spoke when I was in distress. I shall offer to you burnt offerings of fat beasts with the smoke of rams. I shall make an offering of bulls with male goats. Verse 16. Come and hear all who fear God. I will tell you what he has done for my soul. I cried to him with my mouth and he was extolled with my tongue. If I regard wickedness in my heart, the Lord will not hear. But God has heard. He has given heed to the voice of my prayer. Blessed be God who has not turned away my prayer nor his loving kindness from me. Wow, what a great psalm. Psalm 66. Let me give you a quick summary. At the close of the previous psalm, in in Psalm 65, you hear nature praising the Lord. And this Psalm 66 exhorts all mankind to join in creation in celebrating God's greatness. Psalm 66 is a psalm of thanksgiving. It is not known who the author is or what the circumstances were, but I posit to say it doesn't matter because it has such general and broad implications for us that we should always be thankful. God is always great. He is always doing awesome stuff. And so we should always be thanking and praising and worshiping Him. So three things he calls upon us to do, the psalmist does, in Psalm 66. One, for the general instances of his sovereign dominion and power in the whole creation. That's the first thing. The second thing is for the special tokens of his favor to the church, to you and to I and to his nation of Israel at that time. And then the third thing is the psalmist praises God for his own experiences of God's goodness to him in particular, especially in answering his prayers. And so hear this, church, as we mature and grow in our faith, as we mature and grow in our faith, one of the things we have to have have learned is this. In everything, we are to give thanks. As we mature and grow, we must learn to give thanks in everything. In everything. As difficult as that sounds. Here's a shorter summary. If you were to have a shorter summary, look at verse 1. I'm gonna, they're going to hit four verses. This will summarize all of Psalm 66. Verse 1, shout joyfully to God. Verse 1, shout joyfully to God. Verse 5, come and see the works of God. Shout joyfully, come and see. Verse 8, bless our God. Same thing, shout joyfully, bless Him. Verse 14, come and hear. Shout to God, come and see. Shout to God, come and hear. That's pretty simple. That's what Psalm 66 says. Shout to God, bless God, praise His name, come and see, come and hear. We're to keep our eyes open, keep our ears open, because there's always something to be thankful for, and to praise God for, and to worship Him for. So the big idea of today's message is this. Opened eyes and open ears should lead to an opened mouth. Opened eyes and opened ears should lead to an open mouth. We need to open our eyes, we need to think before we think. If we think, we will think, I promise you. 
opened eyes and open ears leads to an opened mouth. Here's an outline for those of you who like outlines. Verses 1 through 4. And we'll just leave this up for a little bit for those who want to continue to write this down if I move on. But worthy of all worship. All nations are implored to worship God. All peoples. Verses 1 through 4. And then he starts talking about his wonderful works to come and see in verses 5 through 7. And then he says, worthy of our worship, where he starts talking about what he did for the church in verses 8 through 15, the nation of Israel. And then wonderful words come and hear what he did for him in particular. So that's just a little helpful outline if that is something you appreciate. We'll leave that up for a little bit if you're still writing. So verses 1, 2, 3, and 4. Let's read that again real quickly. Psalm 66, 1, 2, 3, and 4. Shout joyfully to God, everybody. Sing the glory of His name. Make His praise glorious. Say to God, how awesome are you? Your works are awesome. Because of the greatness of your power, even your enemies will give feigned obedience to you. All the earth will worship you and sing praises to you in your name. So what does it say in these four verses we're to do, church? Any guesses? What's the what? What are we supposed to do? Praise, shout, sing, worship, you bet. We're to shout to God. We're to sing to God. We're to praise God. We're to worship God. Do you know I did a little bit of homework on what these four words mean in the original Hebrew language, to shout, to sing, to praise, and to worship. And do you know what they mean? You're going to think this is brilliant. It means to shout, to sing, to praise, and to worship. That's it. All that homework, that's all it means. Exactly what it says. Are our lives, lives that shout, that, that the word shout actually means to just almost like to randomly just shout. It's like having, you know, I've got to be careful with this, like having spiritual Tourette's almost, right? Where you just blurt things out, and I think that's okay. I actually met a pastor that had Tourette's. It was very interesting. Very interesting. But you get what I'm saying? Like that's kind of what it means, that these sudden shouts where we just go, wow, God, you're incredible. Where you just see because your eyes and your ears are open and you just have these sudden shouts. But that's what it means to shout, to sing, to praise, and to worship. And to worship, I think, we lose the sight of what worship really means biblically. It means to bow down. I think we've lost the art of worship in the church on some level. I don't think we bow down enough, whether it's in the church or whether it's in our homes or wherever it is. And it means to submit. We are all called to submit and to worship and bow down to our Heavenly Father. Only by understanding God's enormity can we truly understand our futility and ultimately function at our capacity. Let me say that again. Only when we understand God's enormity will we understand our futility and ultimately then we can function in our full capacity. So that's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to shout and to sing and to praise and to worship. How? It says in verse 1, shout how? Shout joyfully. And in verse 2, he says, make his praise glorious. We're to shout, sing, praise and worship gloriously and joyfully. Is that you? Is that me? I, I think I'm a, you know, I, I don't know. I don't know if you, you know, how you score, a, you know, what kind of worshiper you are, you know, I don't know seven and then mine eight. I don't know. I think I'm a pretty good worshiper, I think. But boy, I want to be better. I never want it to be awkward for anybody, right? I don't want to draw attention to myself, but gosh, I don't want to rob God of the glory that's due His name. Make sense? So is that you? Do you and I joyfully and gloriously praise and sing to our Father? 
Or do we shout, sing, praise, and worship reluctantly, habitually, cautiously, unwillingly, unenthusiastically, perhaps even embarrassingly? God wants us to worship and sing and praise Him gloriously and joyfully. I want to do that. Why is it so easy for us to forget how to joyfully and gloriously praise our Lord? I got saved when I was 15. And what, I don't know, maybe six or seven years I met my wife, and I really didn't care what people thought about me and my faith. I was just so excited. And I wore stuff that was edgy stuff. I just wanted people to know I was saved and I was God's chosen. And I was, I was just, I didn't care what people thought. And then, you know, somewhere over the years, you know, you kind of lose some of that vim and vigor and enthusiasm, right? And it kind of goes to what Rob was saying last week about which as sheep, we just, we just need to be reminded all the time. We go back to bad stuff and we forget the things that God did for us. And I don't know, right? I don't know why it's so easy to forget how to praise God joyfully and enthusiastically and gloriously. But I tell you one thing, that's the importance of God's word. The importance of God's Word, of God's word is that it, re, it gives us reason upon reason to do so. We read this and we just go, oh my gosh, another story, another reason to worship our God and to praise our God. It's the importance of living in Christian community with one another, whereby, whereby we can witness the mighty hand of God in each other's lives and go, oh my gosh, what am I hearing and what am I seeing? And therefore I can praise and honor and worship God because of the things I hear, because of the things that I see. That's why we're in fellowship. That's why we're in God's Word. Give us reason to praise Him and thank Him. Come and see, God says. Come and hear. God is always at work. Always at work. And who does He say is to praise Him? All the earth, it says in verse 1 and 4. All the earth, even His enemies, all peoples, all of us will willingly or unwillingly bow down to the Lord at some point. And why? Why does He say we're to worship Him? Why worship Him enthusiastically all the earth? Well, it says in verse 3, Psalm 66, verse 3, Say to God, how awesome are your works because of the greatness of your power. That's why. The mighty works of the great King should absolutely cause us to respond with awe. A-W-E. The mighty works of the great King should absolutely cause us to respond with awe. Is this true of you? Is this true of me? And I, am I in awe of our God? Gosh, I want to be. If we do not have an awe of God, we're not seeing Him. We're not hearing Him. We're not hearing and seeing about how awesome He is. Let me take one story from God's good book. One story. And tell me if this isn't awesome. The story of Jesus. Born of a virgin. Pretty awesome. I don't think that's happened since. Lived a sinless life. Insanely awesome. Raised from the dead. Out of this world awesome. That's just one story. That's enough. Shouldn't that be enough? When, when, when some of the people were you know, questioning Jesus and during his ministry, and they were asking for a sign, and you remember Jesus' response? He said, A wicked and evil generation asks for a sign, but no sign shall be given except the sign of Jonah, which is the three days in the belly, which is God's dying and being raised on the third day. That's enough. If that's all we had, but there's way more than that in the biblical accounts and today, and everywhere between the last words that were penned up until now, God is working, that we can come and see and we can come and hear. His works are awesome. 
Would you, church, would you push back? Would you give me any pushback if I were to proclaim that it's essential that all of us have an awe of God? Would anybody push back on that? If I said it's essential that we all have an awe of God, would anybody give me any pushback? Great, because I have no response if you did. But here's what I will say. If that's the case, and apparently it is, then it is essential that the Lord does what he must do in order to establish that sense of awe within us. If it's essential we have it, it's essential that he makes it happen. And so he does. And I'm so thankful. In Psalm 66, we are invited to come and see and to come and hear so that we may have an awe of God and praise Him and worship Him and sing to Him and bow down to Him like we have never done so before. At the funeral of Louis XIV, a great French cathedral was packed with people there to mourn his death and to pay a final tribute to the king whom they all considered to be great. The room was completely dark, the cathedral, except for one lone candle. And it illuminated the great solid casket that held the mortal remains of this monarch. At the appointed time, Jean-Baptiste Massillon, famous French bishop and preacher, stood to address the assembled crowd and clergy of France. As he rose in the silence, he reached from the pulpit and he snuffed out that one candle. It had been put there to symbolize the greatness of that king. And from the silence and from the darkness, he said these four words, God only is great. It's a great story. God only is great. And because of that, deserves our thanks, deserves our worship, deserves our shouts, deserves our praise. Verses 5, 6, and 7. Come and see the works of God. He's awesome in his deeds towards the sons of men, so he starts transitioning to his people. He turned the sea into dry land. That's the Red Sea. They passed through the river, the Jordan River, on foot. There let us rejoice in him. He rules by his might forever. He keeps watch on the nations. Let not the rebellious exalt themselves. So again, we're invited to come and see the awesome works of God. And what were these? Well, it was God leading his people out of bondage. That's another great story. God leading his people out of bondage in Egypt or from Egypt. If you know even a little bit about that story, pretty awesome story. The Exodus was the birthday of the Jewish nation and has always been Israel's main exhibition of God's glorious power and greatness. What the resurrection of Jesus Christ is to believers today, the Exodus was to Israel. The Jews remember the Exodus at Passover, and the church remembers, as the church remembers the death and resurrection of Christ at the Lord's Supper. Alexander McLaren says this, I love this. He says, God's work is never antiquated. Is that right? God's work is never antiquated. It is all a revelation of eternal activities. It's a revelation of how God is always. What He has been, He is. What He did, He does. You getting that? Therefore, our faith can feed on all the records of old time. 
and expect the repetition of all that they contain. That's powerful stuff. I say that it's enough to praise Him just based on the fact that He's God, creator of the universe, all-powerful, holy, omnipotent, etc. Just on those attributes alone, He's worthy of our praise and worship. But for some reason, He chooses to be awesome in His deeds towards us, towards His people. That's what's crazy. He turned the Red Sea and for good measure the Jordan River into dry land. Not just to say to his people, hey, watch, watch what I can do. Water, no water. Back to water. Wasn't that cool? And then the Jordan River. Water, no water. Back to water. Isn't that cool? No, he didn't do it just to show off. He did it for his people so they can pass over on dry ground and have sure footing. Passing through the Red Sea, here's what's cool. It's an example of the Lord's awesome deeds towards His people in regards to deliverance from something, from the enemy, from darkness, from oppression, from bondage, and from slavery. And then passing over the Jordan is an example of the Lord's awesome deeds towards His people in regards to delivering them to something. He delivers them from something and to something. That's what God does for us. Whatever you're going through, whatever might be happening in your life, God can deliver you not only from it, but He'll deliver you to something much better. That's what's so cool. And he delivered them to the promised land, the land flowing with milk and honey, the land of inheritance. I love that about our Lord. So like what? What are some examples? Like, I don't have a job, and I need a job. I'm going to deliver you from unemployment to employment, from anxiety to peace, from confusion to clarity, from doubt to trust, from darkness to light, perhaps from lifeless worship to lively worship. God doesn't just deliver us from something and say, okay, great, I'm not in that, but now what? He delivers us to something. God always has something to deliver us to, not only deliver us from. As God has done in the past, He is still fully capable of awesome deeds and working out our deliverance from and deliverance to. Therefore, in verses 6 and 7, where it says, there, at the end of verse 6, there let us rejoice Him. Rejoice Him there in those moments. And that's what that means when it says there. It means just then, at that time. If we don't pay attention, if we don't hear and see what God's doing, we're going to miss the moments where we can thank God. Right there it says, there, thank the Lord. I shared the first two services. It was January, 10, 11 months ago, that I preached here for the first time. Some of you may not remember that. Probably don't. I'm not offended. Just kidding. I don't even know what that means. So, um... So I had preached, uh, uh, ironically, PJ was sick. PJ was sick, and they'd asked me to preach. And we'd only been here for maybe a month and a half, two months, and I'm like, oh, they're crazy enough to ask me. I'm crazy enough to say, yeah, sure. And I'd preached. I'd passed in the church for four, f- four or five years and preached at least a couple hundred times, and you'll remember this. And I, on Saturday night, I skipped the page. I literally flipped two pages instead of one. And it was moments later in the sermon, and, I, I, and my wife can tell. She's like, something happened, huh? Right? And I was mortified, right? Was I mortified? I was completely mortified. And it took me a while to get over it. But I got over it fairly soon enough. And, um, you know, I don't think anybody noticed, but I knew. And my wife knew. Now, this is what I heard my wife say. Wow, it looks like you missed something. It would have been a lot better if you hadn't missed that. And I think the church probably caught on to it, and they'll probably never ask you to speak again. Now, that's not what she said. <laughs> but that's what I heard, because I'm a little insecure, right? I was mortified. I was just, 
And we had some friends that were here for the first time, and they, and they were gonna, got to dinner, and I'm just, I was twisted, man, for like two or three hours. And then finally, I wanted to live in the moment, right? Like in that moment, I wanted to be thankful. I said, God could have prevented that. If he can part the Red Sea, if he can part the Jordan River, he could have helped me turn one page instead of two. I'm just guessing. But he chose not to do that, right? For whatever reason. And so I just said, you know, God could have prevented that, so I'm going to be thankful. For whatever it is that he wants to teach me in that, I'm going to learn to be thankful. And so I'm, I'm always, I'm trying more and more, my wife and I, to find moments to man, be thankful for this and to be thankful for that. To come and see and to come and hear and then to give God praise in everything. Good stuff. Verses 8 through 15, let's read those. Those will go pretty quick. They're not big verses. Again, he says, Bless our God, O peoples. Sound his praise abroad. He keeps us in life. It does not allow your feet to slip. And then he starts talking about their bondage in Egypt. He says, For you have tried us, O God. You have refined us as silver is refined. You brought us into the net. We were trapped. You laid an oppressive burden on our loins, upon our backs. You made men right over our heads. We went through fire and water, but you brought us to a place of of abundance. Wow. I shall come into your house with burnt offerings. I'll pay my vows that my mouth spoke when I was in distress, and I'll offer you all the offerings that I'm supposed to offer you because of it. So again, we're to bless our God, O peoples, and sound his praise abroad. The psalmist continues, as we mentioned, he goes from all the earth, and now he's honing it down to the nation of Israel. Not only is God worthy of shouts from all the earth, but he's certainly worthy of shouts from his people. I hope that's true of us. Again, biblically, if any nation had a reason to praise God, it was Israel. What did he do for them? He rescued them from slavery. He guided them through the wilderness. He took them into their land of abundance. He enabled them to defeat their enemies and to claim their inherited land. He gave them his law, his sanctuary, his priests, his prophets, and he blessed them with all that they needed. When they disobeyed, he disciplined them. Like a careful craftsman, Verse 10 says, the refiner's fire like silver, right? Like a careful craftsman, he put them through the furnace and removed their impurities. Please raise your hand if God is done removing your impurities. (laughs) Right? Yeah. There's a lot of impure stuff in us that God continues to work work out of us, right? Like a careful craftsman. Let me read... Let's turn to Malachi chapter 3, verses 1, 2, and 3. It's the very last book of the Old Testament, Malachi, right before Matthew. Malachi 3, 1, 2, and 3. Good stuff. Yeah. Malachi 3, 1, 2, and 3. Just before Matthew. Behold, I'm going to send my messenger... He's going to clear the way before me. And the Lord whom you speak will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he's coming. Verse 2, but who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. He will sit as a smelter and purifier of silver. He will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver. So that you and I may, be, may present to the Lord offerings of righteousness then the offering of Judah, the people in Jerusalem, will be pleasing to the Lord as in the days of old, as in the former years. The Lord refines us all the time. Can we be thankful? I hope so. 
When they turned to the Lord, He transformed their sufferings into blessings, and He enlarged them and brought them into abundance, as it says in in Psalm 66, verse 12. After they went through fire and water, He brought them into a place of abundance. And so it is with the church. When the Lord has permitted persecution, invariably it leads to growth and blessing in the church and in His people. We can go through fire and water and be the better for it. Turn, if you will, just to the right of Psalms to Isaiah 43, verses 1 and 2. Isaiah 43, 1 and 2. What a great reminder of what God does for us. Isaiah 43, 1 and 2. But now, thus says the Lord, your Creator, O Jacob, and He who formed you, O Israel, Do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by my name. You are mine. Therefore, when you pass through the waters, I'll be with you. And through the rivers, they will not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be scorched, nor will the flame burn you. Can I get an amen? That's incredible. Not if you pass through the waters. Not if you pass through the fires, but when. Within Psalm 66, as we will see in a few minutes, the psalmist will have demanded shouts, praise, and worship from the world, from his people, and from the individual psalmist himself. Unless you belong outside of one of those three camps, yours and mine is to be a life of thanks, worship, and praise. Does that make sense? This psalm challenges the world, his church, and the individual. If you're not in one of those three camps, and arguably you are in any one of those three camps, then you and I are called to a life of thanksgiving, worship, praise, and song. Why? As these verses say in Psalm 66, He keeps us in life. He doesn't allow our feet to slip. He tries us, it says. He refines us as silver, and He brings us to abundance. Wow, are you kidding me? It can seem at time in life, That mortal man is in control when in reality it's just God refining his people through trial. Let me say that again. It can seem at times that man is in control, but in reality it's just God refining his people through trial. So here's a question, and I'm going to read something out of Habakkuk uh, Habakkuk, uh, chapter 3. Here's a question. I shared this a couple months ago at men's breakfast, so this may sound familiar to some men here. When the routine, ordinary, dependable parts of life, of daily life, when the routine, ordinary, dependable parts of daily life, when they quit functioning, if the world as you know it were turned upside down or backwards, can you, can I still rejoice in God and keep trusting Him? We're supposed to. Habakkuk is near Malachi, four or five books before. So if you were in Malachi, just turn to your left and go to Habakkuk. Chapter 3. So it's before Zechariah, before Zephaniah, after Nahum. Yes, five or six six books before Matthew. Chapter 3, verse 17, 18, and 19. Good stuff. These are those ordinary things in biblical times that happened every day without question. These are what he's describing here. He says, Though the fig tree should not blossom for whatever known reason, 
and there be no fruit on the vines for whatever reason, though the yield of the olive should fail for whatever reason, and the fields produce no food for whatever reason, and though the flock should be cut off and there be no cattle in the stalls, if life as you know it were not to be as life as you know it anymore, verse 18, yet I will exult in the Lord. Wow. I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. And here's what's cool, verse 19. The Lord God is my strength, and He has made my feet like hinds' feet. Remember in Psalm 66, it says, you, you, you don't allow my feet to slip. Right? He makes my feet like hinds' feet. Do you know what hinds' feet are? It's those mountain goats. Like I think like over in Palm Springs, they got those, I think by PGA West and other places, of course, right, where those mountain goats are on those craggy rocks, and their feet are as sturdy as they come. And they don't slip, and they don't fall, and they don't die. You make my feet like hinds' feet, and you make me to walk on high places. Wow, even though everything can be turned upside down, I can have sure footing even in high, craggy, rocky places. That's powerful stuff. And for that, we need to give thanks and praise to God. And then wrapping up Psalm 66, verses 16 through 20. He says, come and hear. I'm going to tell you what he's done for my soul. I cried to him with my mouth. I extolled him with my tongue. If I had regarded wickedness, he would not have heard me, but he did hear me. He answered the voice of my prayer. Blessed be God, who did not turn away from me, nor his loving kindness did he turn away from me. So then he just starts talking about his own soul. Come and hear. Sometimes we may be reluctant to share our faith because we don't feel strong enough in our Bible knowledge or in our doctrine. And for sure, we will continue to strive to improve upon this in our personal lives or in the church, whatever that looks like. But each and every one of us has a testimony. Each and every one of us can say to somebody, come and see, come and hear. To whoever we're talking to, Nobody can deny a testimony of what God has done and the things that we've heard of what He's done in other people. Come and see. Come and hear. What, he, what did the Lord do for His soul? He heard His prayer, it says in these verses, 16 through 20. He answered His prayer and He extended His loving kindness and kept Him from wickedness. Look at verse 18. It says, If I regard wickedness in my heart, the Lord will not hear. To regard wickedness means to recognize and to cherish it to be unwilling to confess and forsake your sins. It means approving that which God condemns. When we recognize sin in our hearts, we must immediately judge it, confess it, forsake it. Otherwise, the Lord can't work on our behalf. That would not be loving for Him to do so. It is ultimately an act of God's love when He does not hear us in our wickedness, for then we would stay in that place of wickedness. So in His loving kindness, God doesn't hear us until we purge that sin and then God hears us. What He does for our soul is to keep us from wickedness. For then and only then can our souls flourish in Him. And so Psalm 66 is an invitation to come and see, to come and hear, to come and praise and thank and sing and worship the Lord like never before. And I pray we do that this morning during communion. We have so much to be thankful for. We need right there in the moments to just say, wow, what can I be thankful for in this moment? What can I be thankful for in that moment? Come and see, come and hear, and give God the glory and the praise due His name. It's a challenge. It's a thick challenge. I get it. I'm going to close this in prayer, and I'm going to read to you Psalm 67. 
just seven verses as our closing prayer. And then Doug Renault, one of our elders, is going to come and lead us in a time of communion. It's really good to be with you guys this morning. So good. Let me read Psalm 67. Please pray with me. God, be gracious to us and bless us. Cause your face to shine upon us, Lord, that your way may be known on the earth, your salvation among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you will judge the peoples with uprightness and guide the nations on the earth. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. The earth has yielded its produce. God, our God, blesses us. God blesses us that all the ends of the earth may fear Him. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Doug, thank you.